We've been saying in this series that the greatest need in the world today is hope in Christ. And yet, the world is not turning to hope in Christ. And that's because Christians are not shining at our full capacity. It's not that we're not shining. I mean, we may go out and eat in public and bless the food or assemble on Sunday morning. It's that we are not shining to our fullest capacity. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And if you look around the world and just read the headlines, you can see that isn't the world in dire need of saints who are shining to the fullest capacity? I mean, look at the global news. What, uh, the week before last, uh, 170 were killed through terrorist attacks in Paris. This past week in Mali, I believe almost 30 people were killed through terrorist attacks. How many hundreds of thousands of Syrian refugees, uh, women and children are trying to enter into this country and other countries, and yet they are coming from a war-ridden area that is a, 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 a breeding ground for ISIS and terrorism, and thus the debates rage between the Republicans and the Democrats, and that's just globally. Let's look nationally. In the United States, over the last 40 years, some 56 million babies have been killed through abortion. This is more atrocious than the Holocaust, and yet we've forgotten all about it. We've become numbed and desensitized to this atrocity. This past year, I believe some 3,300 babies were killed. And since our service began just this morning, over, I believe, 150 babies have already been killed. Just within the last hour, our nation has lost the sanctity of sexuality and STDs and promiscuity are not an epidemic, but a pandemic. Our nation has lost its sanctity for marriage. Our nation has lost its sanctity for God so that prayer is not even welcome in school. And of all things, the Ten Commandments are not even welcome in our court system. Now let's look at things locally. We just have to look out the door and see that there are people who are homeless, there's people who are hungry, there are people who are bound in addiction, there are people who are bound in fear, there are people who, who, who have no families, there's a pandemic of people without hope. And the problem is not in the White House. The, the solution is not in Republicans or Democrats. The solution is in saints shining at their fullest capacity. The solution is in some saint reminiscent of an Old Testament prophet who would stand up and his voice arise above the crowds and like Joshua say, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, A priest. Yes, we can praise God for that. Put your hands together. And my prayer is that that prophet, that priest, that kingly anointing would rest upon you. The world is in dire need of hope in Christ. Therefore, our greatest responsibility is to shine at full capacity. Let me pray that you would begin shining today and I would begin shining today. Let's pray. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that the world would no longer be dark because your church would stand up and shine at full capacity, at our fullest potential. In Jesus' glorious name, amen. Amen. Sorry, we were going to have a video that didn't work out. (laughs) But if you do have your Bibles, would you open it with me to Deuteronomy 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 18. And hold your place there. And while you're flipping there, Robbie, Pastor Robbie had mentioned this earlier in the service, December 6th, we are starting an invitation Sunday. And we're starting a new series in here where we're talking about um, who is the Messiah? Is faith in Christ a fact? Is it a fact? Can it be? Should it be? Is the Jesus of Scripture the Jesus of history? Do you know that for sure? And this is the nature of this Christmas series where we're going to look at it from an apologetic standpoint, and it's going to be a great series to round up anybody who needs Christ. And so we're beginning a series on December 6th called The Case for Messiah. And I encourage you to bring as many people as you can to this. But simultaneously, we are also starting a series in the children's ministry upstairs, and it's going to be a blast. This magician, he was an illusionist from Vegas. He's born again and saved now and travels with some big-time evangelists. Well, he's going to be here December 6th in our children's ministry, and he's going to share the gospel through illusions. And so we're encouraging all of our kids to invite all of their friends, and we're going to have a packed-out children's ministry that day, and it's going to be a dazzling experience for the kids, but also a very memorable as many kids come to Christ. And I want to encourage you adults to round up as many kids in your neighborhood or have sleepovers the night before if you have children and bring all the kids with you. And many kids are going to come to Christ. Now, as I've been praying for you and I've been praying for events that are happening in our country and in our world, you know, wherever you stand politically in terms of refugees and immigrants and all that, This is my responsibility for you, and this is my heart for you. I don't want you to fear Muslims. I want you to have a heart for Muslims. Yeah, yeah, we can praise God for that. But do you even know what Islam believes? Do you even know what Sharia law is? Do you know how to share your faith in Christ with Muslims? Do you have a Muslim friend? that you're pouring into. Well, on Sunday evening, we are having a a doctor, he's a teacher from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary come in, and and his expertise is Islamic studies, and he's a a missionary to Muslims. And so he's going to be coming in on Sunday evenings, and he's going to be sharing what is Islam, what is Sharia law, how to share your faith in Christ. So December 6th, 13th, and 20th on Sunday evenings, we're going to join together as, as a church family and bring any friends that you like, and be equipped how to share our faith in Christ with Muslims. This is going to be an incredible series. And then this, this professor is leaving January for Islamic studies, so I look forward to you being equipped through that series, and please don't miss that. In fact, we'll be beginning the series in the evening time, at an evening service, not only with this is the Islamic edification, but also with... Um, also with inaugurating our new deacons and also uh, inaugurating before the church family our new, um, our new church members. So with that being said, let me pray for you again. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would illuminate all of our hearts. And right now we pray for December 6th, and we pray that many adults come to Christ in the morning service. We pray that many kids come to Christ in our children's service, and we pray for Sunday evening. We pray that we are equipped to have a heart for Muslims and to share our faith in Christ with Muslims. In Jesus' name, Amen. So the question is, how do we shine at full capacity? I want you to repeat three statements after me. Here's the first statement. I have the anointing of a prophet. I have the anointing of a priest. 
I have the anointing of a king. So let's talk about these three anointings, these three offices. Prophets, priests, and kings. Prophets. The word prophet. Now let's go back in the Old Testament. The Old Testament reveals these three offices. God governed, God led, God blessed, God convicted and challenged His people throughout the Old Testament through these three offices. Prophets, priests, and kings. The Old Testament is resplendent with prophets, prophets, priests, and kings. And throughout the Old Testament, the word prophet can be summarized in one word. Illumination. Illumination. And this is what a prophet would do. The prophet would speak to the people on behalf of God. And in doing so, they would illuminate God's word, God's will, God's way to people. The Bible says about God's word, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. So when a prophet, or oftentimes they would be called a seer, when a prophet or a seer would say, thus saith the Lord, they were illuminating a path for the people to walk upon and be blessed. When a prophet or a seer said, thus saith the Lord, they were illuminating a path for the people to return to and to be restored. For example, as I mentioned earlier, Joshua, choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord with a prophetic anointing. He illuminated a path for the people to walk. He illuminated a path for the people to return and to be blessed and to restored. The most well-known prophet of all the Old Testament was no doubt Moses, and Moses illuminated the character of God and the law of God through the Mosaic law and all the other prophets after him, large Um, spoke prophecies and illumination to help people get back to what uh, was spoken through the prophet Moses. There were major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and minor prophets like Hosea and Micah. They were minor in the size of their writings but not in, in in, in the weightiness of their message. There were messianic prophecies like Isaiah and David and, 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 and many others who would prophesy about the Messiah or the Christ to come. And then there were priests. And whereas the prophets can be summarized in one word, illumination. The priests can be summarized in one word, intercession. Whereas the prophets would illuminate God's ways by speaking to the people on behalf of God, the priest would intercede for the people and speak to God on behalf of the people. So the prophets would illuminate and the priest would intercede and the prophets would speak to the people on behalf of God and the priest would speak to God on behalf of the people. For example, as Moses interceded, turn from your anger, God, and relent and do not bring disaster on your people. And guess what? God did relent. As Samuel interceded on behalf of the people, assemble all Israel at Mezpah and I will intercede with the Lord for you. A priest would stand in the gap between God and between the people. Oftentimes it was the high priest on the Day of Atonement through the sacrifices. And through that he would mediate between God and between the people. And this was the intercession. The priest was sort of the middleman and intercede and mediate between God and the people. There were prophets and there were priests. Such as the likes of Moses and Samuel and Aaron who was the first priest. And then there were kings. And whereas prophets illuminated God's word as he spoke to the people on behalf of God, priests interceded for the people as he spoke 
to God on behalf of the people. And the king could be summarized in one word, inspiration. The kings governed by leading people into greater freedom and greater worship and empowered others to do the same. Let me repeat that. These kings had this anointing to lead people into greater freedom and greater worship and empower others to do the same. A godly king never used the people to serve his position. A godly king only used his authority, his influence to serve the people, to bring about greater freedom and greater worship, and to empower them to do the same for others. As a kingly anointing rested upon David, even before David ascended to the throne, the Israeli army was being oppressed by a giant, by fear, by Goliath. And David stood in between this oppression and the army, and the giant tried to intimidate David and say, I'm going to feed your body to the birds of the air. And David said, you come against me with fear and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, prepare to die. And then David not only killed the giant and freed the people, but he empowered them to become liberators and deliverers as well, as from there the Israeli army overthrew the Philistines. So throughout the Old Testament, God led and God governed and God set his people free through prophets, through priests, and through kings. Now some prophets had more than one office, some very, 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 very special figures throughout the Old Testament. For example, Moses, he possessed the ministry and the the, the giftings of both prophet and a priest. Moses not only spoke to the people on behalf of God, Moses also spoke to God on behalf of the people. He was a prophet and a priest. Samuel was also a prophet and a priest. But then we have somebody who was very, very, very special in the Old Testament, and he was a prophet, priest, and a king. And that was David. Uh, Many of the Psalms have incredible prophecies as he prophesied before the people and and. He was obviously a king, and he set people free, and and at his best, he used his influence to liberate people to worship as a humble shepherd who led the people by still waters, the river of Christ. But there were times that unique instances in David's reign that he also functioned as a priest. For example, when the Ark of the Covenant was being brought back to Jerusalem, he wore an ephod, which was a priestly garment, and he danced before the Ark of the Lord. And so he was a prophet, priest, and king. Now, whether somebody was just a prophet, just a priest, or just a king in the Old Testament, but especially if they were a godly prophet, priest, and a king, they were a prefigure. They were a foreshadow. They were a type of the ultimate prophet, priest, and king who was to come, and that was Jesus Christ. Jesus was not a prophet. Jesus was the prophet. As we read in Hebrews, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. So when Jesus said, it is written, he wasn't just quoting scripture, he was quoting himself. (laughs) Whether he was quoting in Deuteronomy or whether he was quoting in Psalms, he wasn't just quoting scripture, he was quoting himself. As we read in the book of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word 
was God. And then we jump down to verse 14 and we read, And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Jesus didn't simply say, Thus saith the Lord. Jesus said, You've heard that it is written, but I say unto you. Jesus is the prophet. He is the incarnate Word who spoke to the people and revealed God to the people, not just through his words, but he is the radiance of God's likeness, the thumbprint of God. And Jesus is not only the prophet, Jesus is the priest. Now let's read something very interesting about prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, we read, We read in verse 14, when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set a king over me like the nations all around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from, watch this, your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. And so God is saying your priests and your prophets and your kings need to be your brother. They need to be like you and one of you so that when an Old Testament king was reigning, it was from your, from your villages, it was from your land. He's your brother. He's one of you so that you won't be discouraged and you'll look at your king and say, he's one of us. And so that the king will walk in humility and say, hey, I'm one of them. And now when we see that Jesus is not only the prophet, Jesus is the priest. Watch this in Hebrews 2.17. For this reason, Jesus had to, meet, be, had to be made like us. Fully human in every way. What, did he give up his Godhead? No, he was God. So was he like part God and part man? No. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. If Jesus were half God and half man, then he would be less than God and more than man. He were 100% God and 100% man. Now, we oftentimes only emphasize his deity, and we put him on a pedestal, and we could never have a pedestal high enough to put Christ. He is sinless, he's the King of kings, he's the Lord of lords, he's the the almighty God, he's the everlasting Father. We could never have a pedestal high enough to put Christ. But we oftentimes forget, to our discouragement, his humanity, that he's 100% man, in the incarnation when he was born in Bethlehem. Why? What does that mean to us today? That means that he gets it. That means that he understands that you're tempted. That means he understands that you fell. That means he understands that it's difficult. He was tempted in every single way the scriptures say that you and I are, but without sin. So that means he not only knows that we stumbled, he knows why we stumbled. And that, is mean, that, that means that he's a compassionate high priest who sympathizes with us in all of our weaknesses. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become, watch this, a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. He is the prophet, he is the priest, and what is so amazing about this is in the Old Testament, the priest had to offer sacrifices for himself before he offered sacrifices for the people, and he would sacrifice an animal, a lamb, or a goat, or a bull. But Jesus, the great high priest, he only had to make one sacrifice, not for himself because he's sinless, but for the sins of the world. So he served as priest as he offered his own self 
as the sacrifice for the sins of the world. And he only had to do this one time to cover all of sins, past, present, and future. And so we go on in Hebrews and read, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize in our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Now, throughout the Old Testament, there's a tabernacle or there's a temple and there's an outer court and a holy place and then the holy of holies. And the tabernacle or the temple was about the size of this auditorium. And there would be a big veil uh, from the ceiling all the way down to the floor. And it was a thick curtain. And the high priest would go from the first room, the holy place, into the second room, the holy of holies, once a year. Now, inside the holy of holies was the Ark of the Covenant. Did you guess the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yeah, that's it. It's the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was a mercy seat. And so the high priest would sacrifice and he would have the blood of the animals that was a foreshadowing of Jesus, the blood of Christ. And he would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and that would roll the sins over year after year. It never really removed sins. It was just a picture of Christ to come. And then when Jesus was finally born and then he died on the cross and he said, it is finished Literally, in Jerusalem, in the temple, the curtain separating the holy place from the holy of holies by the hand of God, the scriptures tell us, was ripped from top to bottom. Meaning, you and I don't have to go through a priest any longer. We can go straight to God because He is our high priest. Christ is our high priest. And He's a sympathetic, compassionate high priest. If you go to confession, or or if you go to some pastor, or if you go to some Christian friend and confess your sins, you know what? They might judge you. They might condemn you. Jesus said, I have not come to condemn the world. Where are your accusers? I don't condemn you. And he has compassion and sympathy and empathy with you. Jesus is the prophet. Jesus is the priest. And Jesus is the king. He's the king of kings. In Hebrews we read, But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your righteousness, of your kingdom. And what's a scepter? It's it's what a king holds. And Pilate asked Jesus directly, So you're a king. And Jesus said, You say correctly that I'm a king, and for this reason I've been born. I've come into the world to testify to the truth. And he said, but my kingdom is not of this world. And my followers would fight. No, it wouldn't be crucified. It's a spiritual kingdom, an eternal kingdom. And, and we're not fighting for something as trivial and shallow and temporary as borders and dirt. Amen. We're fighting for souls. Yes. And then we read in Revelation. Did you guys know Jesus has a tattoo? It's true. In Revelation 19, 16. And on his robe, when he returns, and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we read of uh, our King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So throughout the Old Testament, God raised up prophets, priests, and kings to lead and to govern His people in freedom and in worship. And they were simply figures or types of the ultimate prophet, priest, and king, Jesus Christ who has set us free for freedom's sake. And now, what is the world dying for? The light to shine. And you are that light. And I am that light. But we shine, I believe, ever so dimly. 
when we contrast it to our full potential to shine. But in order to shine, we have to understand that we have the same anointing as Christ. And we are to function as a prophet, a priest, and a king. Watch this in 1 John 2.20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. You've been anointed. You see, when the prophet and the priest Samuel anointed the soon-to-be king David, he had David kneel. And when David kneeled, he took a horn of oil, and he poured the oil over David's head. And that oil was a a prefigurement, a shadow, a, a type of the Holy Spirit that was to come. So now when you and I kneel our hearts and we bow our knee in submission and to surrender to Jesus Christ, and we confess Jesus Christ as the Lord of our lives, and we trust Him to be our Savior, at that very moment, the Holy Spirit enters into our heart. This is foundational theology. And you've got to grasp this. The Holy Spirit comes into our heart. We can read about it in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. Upon hearing the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you are marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And then you were anointed with a ministry of a prophet. Maybe you've heard the phrase, the priesthood of believers. Well, we believe in the priesthood of believers, but also the prophethood of the believers. You were anointed with the ministry of a prophet. And what does a prophet do? A prophet illuminates and says, this is the path, walk in it to be blessed. A prophet illuminates saying, this is the path, return to it and be restored. And if you don't, there are stark consequences. You are anointed with the ministry of a prophet. If you're in Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, then you too can say, thus saith the Lord. As a prophet, we illuminate and we speak to people on behalf of God. As a prophet, we're not relegated to our own opinion and our own petty arguments. Well, I think this and I think that. As a prophet, we have the anointing to speak the truth of God to people through the Holy Spirit. As the prophet, you can discern truth. As a prophet, you can teach and admonish each other. As a prophet, you can instruct one another. As a prophet, you can encourage each other as long as it's called today. How long is it called today? Every day is today. Every day we should be encouraging one another as a prophet. And as a prophet, you can sound forth the gospel to everyone everywhere. You are anointed to talk to people about God. As a Anointed child of God, you have the ministry of a priest. The pastors aren't the priests. The priests of the Catholic Church aren't the priests. The saints are the priests. There is a doctrine of theology in classical, historical, solid, conservative, Protestant theology called the priesthood of believers. It is scriptural. It is sound. You are a priest. I'm not the priest. You're a priest. I'm a priest because I'm a Christian, because I'm a brother in Christ. I'm not a priest because I'm a pastor. I'm a priest because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, just like you. You have the Holy Spirit, just like me. You're anointed with the ministry of a prophet, and you are anointed with the ministry of a priest. We read in Peter. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. So, as a priest, you have access to the very throne of God. 
oftentimes people say, hey, you're a pastor. I say, yeah, I'm a pastor. Hey, well, then, 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 then would you pray with me? I say, sure, I'll pray with you. But you, 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 you get no special prayer from me because I'm a pastor. Are you a Christian? They say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I say, well, then after I pray for you, you pray for me. Because you have equal access to the throne of God. As a priest, what does a priest do? A priest offered themselves... A priest offered sacrifices for the people. And what do we do? We offer like Jesus did. What did Jesus do? He offered himself as a sacrifice. So what do we do for Jesus? We offer ourselves living sacrifices for Jesus every day. As a priest, we share with one another. And as a priest, we intercede. What is one of the basic functions of a priest throughout the Old Testament? To speak to God on behalf of the people. And as priests, we speak to God on behalf of of one another. We read with all prayer and petition and pray at all times in the spirit. Be alert, persevere, petition for all the saints. And some of you may say, well, if God were going to do what God were going to do anyway, then why pray? Well, God is not going to do what God is going to do anyway. God is going to do what God is going to do when he has somebody to do it through. And God has somebody to do what he's going to do through when he has somebody in prayer. God is not going to do what God is going to do anyway. God's will has been entrusted to the prayers of his people. Why do you think over and over and pretty much every page of scripture is the command to pray? And the promise, if we do pray, we'll be blessed as a result of it. If my people, notice the if, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. If my people, Jesus said, If you pray, if you pray, believing, nothing will be impossible for you. Scriptures say, call unto me, and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things. It stands to reason that to be shown great and mighty things, we must first call unto him. Over and over and over, we must pray. And as a result of that, God's power moves through us. Well, if people are going to do what people are going to do anyway, then why pray for them? Because people are not going to do what people are going to do anyway. That's why we can stand in the gap for them and intercede for them. And though they may not be in reach physically, the people that God has put on your heart are close through your prayers. And you can reach out and bless them and minister to them through your prayers. I have a close friend who goes AWOL from time to time. We don't know where he is. The sweetest spirit, the gentlest heart, just a great personality. I mean, witty, and he, he's, he's very humble and very compassionate. Well, you know, he's got this addiction, and sometimes he just disappears for months on end. And, and uh, we kept praying for him and praying for him. And, and I saw him one day, and he said, you know, sometimes on Sunday morning, I just walk around the building, but I don't come in because... You know, I just, I need to get myself cleaned up first. Well, you know, I explain, man, come just as you are, and then Jesus will just begin working on you, and we'll begin loving on you. But he was walking around the building, I believe, because of prayers. You know, throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, Jesus, first of all, he performed more miracles that the, the Gospels say that the whole world wouldn't be big enough to contain all the books if all of his miracles were recorded. But all the miracles that are recorded throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I believe are some around, somewhere around 37 miracles recorded. And did you know that at least seven of these miracles were granted to people by no faith of their own? But because somebody interceded, because somebody acted as a priest, because somebody stood in the gap, God blessed their faith to bless the people who were lost. 
They couldn't see Christ on their own. They couldn't hope in Christ on their own. They didn't have faith on their own. They gave up hope on their own. They, they had resided to being lost, hurting, and hopeless. They had resided in their lives being a mess and being a waste. But somebody stood in the gap and Jesus healed them. Whether it was the centurion who went to Jesus and said, look, I'm not worthy to have you come into my house, but say the word and my servant will be healed. I understand authority. I get it. And Jesus said, wow, that's great faith. Your servant is healed. Did the servant have faith? No, the centurion had faith. And Jesus blessed the faith of the centurion to heal the centurion's servant. There was somebody of an elite stature who came to Jesus and said, my, 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 my son is sick. Heal my, my son. And Jesus said, as you said, it would be. As you believed it is, it is. And at that hour, his son was healed. Did his son have faith? No. The official had the faith. And through the faith of the official, Jesus healed the son. There was a Gentile woman who went to Jesus, and, and she was interceding for her child. And, and, and Jesus said, well, you know, this is a little the car before the horse, and my ministry is still to the Jews, but it's, it's here in a bit that the ministry is going to spread to the Gentiles. And she just continued to plead to Jesus. And Jesus said, wow, now this is faith, and granted her request. On and on and on it goes. There were four men who had a friend, and he was a paralytic, and the paralytic was, was on a mat. He was crippled, and his friends brought him to Jesus. They couldn't get into the house, so they climbed up on the roof. How difficult that must have been to get their friend on the roof, and then they, they cut a hold. I mean, they didn't even ask the homeowner. They didn't know if he had insurance, nothing like that, but they just lowered him down, and the Bible says this. The Bible says, seeing their faith, whose faith? The crippled person's faith? No, the four friends' faith seeing their faith he said your sins are forgiven and he healed the crippled on and on and on it goes so we oftentimes say well if God is going to do what God is going to do anyway that is not the case we say well if people are going to do what people are going to do anyway that is not the case what the world needs are saints who are shining at full capacity and that means that we intercede for the people in our lives we pray for their freedom we pray for their healing we pray for their deliverance we pray for their salvation and we never give up we never give up You're anointed with the ministry of a prophet. You're anointed with the ministry of a priest. And finally, and Gentry, you can come on up. You are anointed with the ministry of a royal co-heir. Or you can just say, you are anointed with the ministry of royalty. We read in Romans 8, 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. And we also read that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. This means that with authority, with spirit-filled authority, we are to exert passion, we are to exert energy, we are to exert influence to serve people so that they begin walking in freedom. We never exert authority to condemn people. We never exert authority to, to, to put people down. But we always walk in humility. We always walk in submission to Christ. And we build people up. We exert our authority to build people up. We exert our authority to set people free. As a king, you have the authority to fight and defeat the world, the flesh, and the devil. If you're a child of God, if you're in Christ, then you have the anointing of a prophet, a priest, and a king. 
It's not that you're not shining. As I said earlier, it's not that you perhaps don't bless the food when you go out to eat. And it's not that you don't come out to Sundays and that sort of thing. But when you go into the world, do you speak boldly truth that sets people free? When people are walking in fear and discouragement, do you say it is written? There is there now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When people are walking in, in, in regret and sorrow, do you say, it is written, a just man will fall seven times, but seven times rises again. And if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Do you speak the truth? Why are you walking in discouragement? Why are you walking in sorrow? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon you. He has anointed you to preach good news to the poor. Why are you walking with regret and remorse? He's going to bind up your broken heart and comfort your mourning and give you beauty for ashes. You are anointed as a prophet. Do you speak light into the darkness? This world is dark. Do you speak light into the darkness? Somebody once made the statement. I believe it was St. Augustine. I want to preach the gospel everywhere I go. And use words only where necessary. And I understand what he's saying. And he's saying live credibly and that sort of thing. And show love. And that's true. But it's short-sighted. Because Jesus wasn't killed for his good conduct or his morality or his life or his love. He was killed because of the things that he said. Yes, I'm a king. We must speak the truth. It's the light that scatters the darkness. You're anointed to speak boldly into your friend's life, into your family's life, into your workplace, into your communities. It's a dark world and the world is dying for light. And that light is only going to shine when you begin walking in the boldness that is yours. You've been entrusted with this light. Speak truth. Speak light into darkness. You say, but I don't know. Open up your mouth and dare to speak. And Jesus said the Holy Spirit will give you words on the spot. But also be in the word every day. And then pretty soon the words will be your instincts. And you'll begin speaking it to people's lives in very natural and very relevant ways. You are anointed to compassionately intercede for the hurting. There's people in your life, like my life, who are walking around the building, who can't see Christ for themselves, who can't hope for themselves. They, they, they think they're worthless. They think their lives are, are, are a complete waste. Speak life into them and compassionately intercede for them. Speak to them on behalf of God's healing, mercy, and grace, and then speak to God on behalf of them. And as the hound dog of addiction continues to chase them, the Holy Spirit of God will chase them harder and drive the hound dog away. But only by your prayers. Keep praying for them. Keep praying for them. Don't give up on them. And you are anointed to courageously lead people out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Look at the energy. Look at the shamelessness that those four friends uh, had to enter into to carry their friend up on the roof and through the roof. And they held nothing back. They counted no costs. They were passionate. They were focused. They were unrelenting. They were energetic. How do you spend your energy? What drains your attention span? What dampens your spirit? Get that out of your life so that you're not hindered and you can go after your friends with a passion and lead them to Christ. I'm going to read you this. It's a simple little story Max Lucado wrote. And he wrote, 
an electrical storm caused a blackout in our neighborhood. When the lights went out, I felt my way through the darkness into the storage closet where we keep the candles for nights like this. Through the glow of a lit match, I looked up on the shelf where the candles were stored. There they were, already positioned in their stands, melted to various degrees of my previous missions. I took my match and lit four of the candles. How they illuminated the room. What had been a veil of blackness suddenly radiated with soft golden light. I could see the freezer I had just bumped into with my knee, and I could see my tools that needed to be straightened. How great it is to have light, I said aloud, and then spoke to the candles. If you do such a good job here in the storage closet, just wait till I get you out where you're really needed. I'll put one of you on the table so we can eat. I'll put one of you on my desk so I can read. I'll give one of you to my wife so she can cross-stitch, and I'll set you... I took down the largest one in the living room where you can light up the whole area. I felt a bit foolish talking to candles, but what do you do when the lights go out? I was turning to leave with the large candle in my hand when I heard a voice. Now hold it right there. I stopped. Somebody's in here, I thought. Then I relaxed. It's just my wife teasing me. Okay, honey, stop the joking, I said in the semi-darkness. No answer. Hmm. Maybe it's the wind. I took another step. Hold it. I said, hold it. There was the voice. My hands began to sweat. Who said that? I did. The voice was near my hand. Who are you? What are you? I'm the candle. I looked at the candle I was holding. It was burning a strong golden flame. It was red and set on a heavy wood candle holder that had a firm handle. I looked around once more to see if the voice could be coming from another source. There's no one here but you, me, and the rest of us candles, the voice informed me. I lifted up the candle to take a closer look. You won't believe what I saw. There was a tiny face in the wax. I told you you wouldn't believe me. Not just a wax face that someone had carved, but a moving, functioning, flesh-like face full of expression and life. Don't take me out of here. What? I said, don't take me out of this room. What do you mean? I have to take you out. You're a candle. Your job is to give light. It's dark out there. People are stumbling. Their toes, they're they're, they're walking into walls. You have to come out and light up the place. But you can't take me out. I'm not ready, the candle explained with pleading eyes. I need more preparation. I couldn't believe my ears. More preparation? Yeah, I've decided I need to research this job of light giving so I won't go out and make a bunch of mistakes. You'd be surprised how distorted the glow of light an untrained candle can be. So I'm doing some studying. I just finished a book on wind resistance. I'm in the middle of a great series of of, of CDs on on wick building up and conversation. And I'm reading the new bestseller on flame display. Have you heard of it? No, I answered. You might like it. It, it, That that, that sounds interesting. I caught myself, what am I doing? I'm conversing with the candle. All right, then I said. You're not the only candle on the shelf. I'll blow you out and take the others. But just as I got my cheeks full of air to blow this one out, I heard the voices. We're not going either. It was a conspiracy. I turned around and looked at all three other candles, each flames dancing above miniature faces. I was beyond feeling awkward about talking to the candles. I was getting miffed. Your candles, your job is to light places. Well, that may be what you think, said the candle on the far left, a long, thin fellow with a goatee and British accent. You may be thinking we have to go, but I'm busy. Busy? Yes, I'm meditating. Meditating. How about you two, I asked. We're not going either. A short, fat, purple candle with plump cheeks reminded me 
of Santa Claus, and he said, I'm waiting to get my life together. I'm not stable enough. All this was sounding too familiar. It's not your gift. What do you mean? I set another candle. I'm a singer. I sing to the other candles to encourage them to burn more brightly. And then they all began singing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And he blew them out and closed the door and thought of the absurdity of it all. What a silly story. But how much more silly when we, the church, sing about being the light and get motivated about being the light, but we walk out and we don't shine. How silly is that? It's beyond silly. It is high treason against the King of Kings. Because our King of Kings has given us a great commission. Go into the uttermost parts of the world and make disciples of all nations. And if we refuse to do that, no matter how passionately we may preach or speak, no matter how eloquently we may speak, no matter how generously we may give, no matter how beautifully we may sing, no matter how faithfully we may attend, no matter how passionately or fervently we may pray, we are not an obedient Christian, we are not in the will of God, and we are committing celestial high treason, and the world continues to live in darkness, and the world in our nation continues to go to hell in a handbasket, and we continue to sort of shine to sort of be Christians. The world is dying for hope. Therefore, our greatest responsibility is to be so filled with hope that we shine the light of life. But we can only do that when we function with boldness, with authority, and with great compassion as a prophet, a priest, and a king. Speak truth to people living in darkness. Pray passionately. Don't give up praying for your friends who are lost and hurting and addictions and, and who don't know Christ. And fervently, creatively, energetically, passionately, with authority, lead people to Christ. Let's start here. Let's start now. And I want to challenge you to assemble everybody that you can assemble. Get them here. December the 6th. Many people are going to come to Christ. Don't take no for an answer. But then also, round up the kids in your neighborhood. Yes, kids matter. Kids' souls matter. In fact, a great evangelist, D.L. Moody, went home and his wife said, how did the missions go? And he said, well, it was fine. And he said something like, like 2.5 people got saved. And she said, oh, 2.5 people? You mean two adults and a kid? And he said, no, two kids and an adult, because the kids have their whole lives ahead of them to live for Christ. Oh, Jesus said, let the little children come for me come to me. I believe that the Lord has placed us here with a special anointing to reach teens and to reach children. We really, none of us should really come to church alone. We, none of us should. Don't you have kids running around your neighborhood? I see kids all the time. My heart is hungry to see them come to Christ. Scoop up the kids in your neighborhood. Like I said, if you have children, have them come over, have sleepovers. Bring them here. Scoop them up early that morning. Make sure their parents come as well. But have friends here who need Christ, who need freedom. Have friends here Sunday morning who thinks that Jesus has given up on them. And we're going to see that Jesus, they're going to hear that Jesus loves them with an everlasting love. The kingdom of heaven will be built. And round as many kids up for December 6th. Many kids will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Would you stand with me, please? What time Sunday evening? 6 p.m. Thank you. Thank you. 6 p.m. on Sunday evening. And how many of you guys saying this little light of mine as a kid? Let's go live that in Jesus' glorious name. Oh, throughout the Old Testament. 
voices with authority, voices with passion, voices with love, voices with compassion would rise to speak truth, to intercede for people, and to lead people into freedom. That the world would have an Elijah today. That the world would have a Joshua today. That the world would have a David today. That the world would have a Jeremiah today. That the world would have a Josiah today. That the world would have a Samuel today. That the world would have a Moses today. The world does have such a gift, and that gift is you. It is the Spirit of Christ living in you. Let's function as prophets, priests, and kings in Jesus' name. So let's respond with worship.